A couple of announcements. I just want to add a couple of announcements to what's been said. Well, first of all, my name is John Bourgeois, and I am the RUF campus minister here at Wake. And if I haven't met you yet, um, please come introduce yourself. I would love to meet you all. Um, I also want to introduce two people here who I failed to introduce last week. Um, the first is my wife, Mary Clark. Mary Clark, can you stand up? Um, this is my wife, Mary Clark. And um, ladies, she would love to meet with you um, and get to know you. Guys, sorry, she's my wife. Um, and um, her number is actually on y'all's uh, handout. So um, introduce yourself. Um, uh, she's excited to be here. And the other person I'll introduce is Lauren Harris. Where's Lauren? Stand up, Lauren. Um, Lauren is, yes, we can clap for Lauren. Um, Lauren is on staff with RUF here at Wake. This is her third year. Um, and uh, ladies, for those of you who already know her, you know how wonderful she is. And those of you who don't know her, um, as you get to know her, you'll learn how wonderful she is. So please introduce yourself. Um, and Lauren and I are, you can sit down, Lauren. Um, <laughs> or you can stand up the whole time. And that wouldn't be awkward at all. Um, we, our job, what we do is we're here for y'all. Um, we, uh, the church, um, in, its, uh, in God's grace to the, to the church, has seen that it's good for them for, to uh, make it so that we can be here, so that I can be a pastor to y'all and that Lauren can serve y'all as well. Um, so use us as you need us. Please come meet with us. We'd love to meet with you and get to know you, hear your stories, um, and care for you. Uh, one other quick announcement. Um, if you are a musician and you would like to use uh, your musical gifts to help us, we would love um, to meet you and uh, to have you help us lead music. Um, please come and introduce yourself to anyone that you saw up here leading music. And also, if you have any interest in learning how to, if you don't even know, or do know, to run sound, um, we need help with this. Um, so if you are willing to help run sound, if you've never done it before and you've got no idea what that would take, but you hear this, you're like, huh, I could do that. Come find me. Um, we'll teach you how to do it. Um, we love, we need help uh, running the sound so that the music sounds right when it's coming out of these speakers. So um, we'd love your help with that. Okay, so um, as I was thinking this week, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking a lot about um, how much we love stories. I love stories. Um, and as I was thinking about stories and we love stories, um, this is clear through the media we consume, right? On podcasts, This American Life and Serial are some of the top podcasts. And we just love, we get engrossed in stories. Um, think about our Netflix addictions, right? We will binge watch these series because we just love stories and we find them, ourselves in them. Right now, Mary Clark and I are watching Blacklist, um, which you, if you haven't watched, the second season is better than the first, and the third season starts next week, I think. So, all right, it's awesome. But we get sucked into stories, right? We, we find ourselves in stories, we want to know what's happening in them, and then stories actually shape us. Um, stories shape us and shape the way we live our lives. I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this, the stories that I've let shape me, the stories that have shaped my life. Um, so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking primarily in high school and college. So the first story uh, that I thought of was the appearance story. This is a story that says, life is beautiful for those who are beautiful. Life is beautiful for those who are beautiful. So in high school, the way this played out, um, I hit puberty when I was 14, a little late in the game. Um, I grew seven inches and gained 50 pounds in eight months. So I went from this like chubby kid to this gangly chubby, chubby kid. Um, <laughs> 
And so I was trying to do this appearance thing, like trying to be beautiful so my life would be beautiful. So I thought that if I bought matching, uh, I bought this, these boxers that matched a shirt. And so I would wear those on the same day because I thought that that, ma- I didn't show people my boxers. But I thought <laughs> if I had that matching thing going on, then, you know, I'd, life would be beautiful. Um, I also got really into belt buckles. I thought those would, would make me beautiful. Um, uh, the party scene, you know, I thought if I drank enough with the right people, then life would be perfect. On the other side of that, I went with the morality side. If um, I thought that I would be, if I was better than everyone else, then life would be perfect. Um, this one didn't last very long. But college, I did the exact same thing, just a little less awkwardly. Um, the appearance story, right, life is beautiful for those who are beautiful. Clothes, I just tried to outfrat everybody in how I dressed. Um, <laughs> Party scene, uh, the right parties with the right people. Um, at one point, I was so disgusted. I saw myself doing this, and I was so disgusted with myself doing this that I tried to sabotage, sabotage myself by, this was the fall of my sophomore year, by growing a mullet. Um, the, the, the college barber actually wouldn't cut my hair. I had to go somewhere else to get him to cut it. I cut a mullet and grew a mustache because I was like, I don't want to live by this anymore. I want to make myself ugly. Um, <laughs> But mustaches are beautiful, not bashing mustaches. All right, so this is the appearance story. Another story I tried to live out of was the sports story, right? The LeBron James story. If I'm good at sports, life will be awesome. Um, baseball was my life. This was in my chubby kid stage. Baseball was my life, and then I got hit with a baseball between my eyes, and my nose swole out to, like, right here, and it was so wide that I couldn't see. It was like Worf from Star Trek. Um, and I had to go to school with that, and people saw me, and I had, like, black eyes running down my face. So I stopped playing baseball, um, and I, uh, I started playing lacrosse because I thought lacrosse was cooler than baseball, um, and, but I still rode the bench on the lacrosse team. So that one didn't work. Now I'm trying to do this through cornhole and spike ball. Um, so I'm still doing the, if I'm good at sports, then life will be awesome. Another one that we do, another one that I did, was the accomplishment story, the one where we're waiting to hear the well-done son or well-done daughter. Um, I did this through academics. Um, I was so overwhelmed, this was in high school, that so wanted to perform to hear that well done um, that I, I cheated on things because I wanted to get the, um, the approval that I longed for. Um, extracurriculars, I filled my life with extra things um, in order to get that well done that I thought was tied to what I did. Um, another story I lived out of was uh, the relationships story. Uh, the Romeo and Juliet story, the Taylor Swift version, not the one where they die at the end. Um, tried to find the perfect girl in middle school. This is probably true for a lot of us. I did that by, I had nine girlfriends in sixth grade, not at the same time. Um, and then I serial dated through college, and um, the last person I dated was my wife. Um, and now we've been married, and I'm not dating anymore um, outside of our marriage. Um, but all of these stories that I lived out of are stories of two-way love. They're all stories of two-way love. What I mean by that is two-way love is if, if blank happens, then I will receive love in some form in return. If I do X, then I'm going to get love in response, right? If I'm good enough or smart enough or athletic enough or even if I'm rebellious enough, I'll be loved enough. Right? Isn't this a story that we're all trying to live? The story of two-way love is great if you're good at it, but if you've ever failed at it, you know that when it's bad, it's really bad. 
And because we see that this two-way love story at work in the world around us, we assume that God must operate the same way, right? Um, we have to be good enough for God, loving enough, religious enough, know the Bible well enough, be lovely enough. That's usually how we think about God. But the Bible tells us a different story. Um, the Bible tells a story of one-way love. One-way love, love that has nothing to do with our merits or our accomplishments and has everything to do with God and his great love. You don't have to be good enough or smart enough or accomplished enough or pretty enough or put together enough or religious enough. God loves you because God is love. You don't have to perform to receive his love. And this story of one-way love um, is called the gospel. And this semester at large group, um, we're studying the book of Colossians together. And this week we'll be reading from Colossians 1, 3 through 8. Um, it's printed in your bulletins. If you've got a bulletin, if you've got a Bible, you can open there. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, there's a stack of New Testaments on the table outside. You can grab one on your way out. They're free for you. Um, but I'm going to read uh, Colossians 1, 3 through 8 um, for us. Um, this is the word of God for us tonight. It is completely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are with us by your Spirit, and we pray now um, that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our minds and our ears, that we would hear your grace as it is here in your word um, and would you show us Jesus, um, the embodiment of your grace, um, whom you have sent to us because you love us. I pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so what's happening in this passage? Just to give you a quick overview. Uh, Paul and Timothy um, have written this letter to the church at Colossae. And um, he starts this, by, this section by saying that they have been praying for the church, thanking God that the gospel is at work in them that it is bearing fruit in their lives. Um, and tonight, uh, my talk has two points. First, uh, we're going to answer the question is, what is the gospel? And second, we're going to answer the question, what does the gospel do? What is the gospel and what does the gospel do? And I'm just going to tell you the answer to those up front. Um, but please stay to the end. Um, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And what is it doing? It is bearing fruit in the world. So what is the gospel? Um, the gospel is good news. This passage tells us the gospel is the word of truth, it's a message of hope, um, and then finally we're going to look a little bit at the, what the gospel meant to the original audience. So the gospel is good news. It's a Greek word that means good news. And the Apostle Paul defines the Christian gospel, or the Christian good news, for us in a number of places in the New Testament. One place in particular is 1 Corinthians 15, where he writes this. He says, now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, otherwise you have believed in vain. 
For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelfth. So what Paul is saying is that the center of this good news is Jesus Christ and his death for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he arose again from the dead three days later. And Paul is saying that this is a historical event. This is something that we have no control over because it's already been completed. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And because of his resurrection from the dead, we can be made right with God through his grace. So why is this gospel good news? Um, There's a British preacher from the 20th century named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he explained it this way. He said, the gospel is based on historical events, which is unlike any other religion. There is a big difference between advice and news. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Advice is counsel about something to do that hasn't happened yet, but you can do it. And news is a report about something that has already happened, and you can't do anything about it. All you can do is respond to it. I'll say that again. Advice is counsel about something to do that hasn't happened yet, but you can do it. And news is a report about something that has already happened, and you can't do anything about it. All you can do is respond to it. To illustrate this, um, imagine there's a king who goes into battle against an invading army to protect his land. Now, if the, king, if the king defeats the invading army, he sends back to the capital city messengers. These are happy messengers. They're good newsers. They say, the enemy has been defeated. It's all over. Rejoice. Respond in joy. Go about your lives in the peace which has been achieved for you. But if the king doesn't defeat the invading army, if the invading army breaks through, then the king would send military advisors back to the city who would say, marksmen over here and horsemen over there and soldiers over here, we're going to have to fight for our lives. Every other religion sends military advisors to the people. Every other religion says, if you want salvation, you are required to fight for it. Every other religion is sending advice. But Christianity sends messengers, good newsers. Um, We bring the gospel, the message that this has all been done for you. In verse 5, Paul says that the gospel is the word of truth. What he's saying is that it's the true story of the world, not like those false stories of two-way love that I have lived out of for so much of my life. Um, It is the true story of one-way love. And the story begins not with us, but with God. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three, infinite, eternal, and unchanging in his being, in his wisdom, in power, Holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Um, This God created all things, and he called them good. And at the pinnacle of his creation was us, humans, whom he made in his own image, and he called us very good. And in God's original creation, everything was good. The world existed in perfect peace, stability, harmony, and wholeness. And God created us to worship him and enjoy him. But rather than living under God's authority... Humans turned away from God in rebellion, which plunged the entire creation into darkness and chaos. And the Bible calls this sin. Sin um, is our first parents, Adam and Eve. Um, It was their cosmic treason of saying to God, not thy will, but my will be done. And our sin is their sin. 
where in thought, word, and deed, we say along with the whole of humanity, not thy will, but my will be done. And our sin has drastic consequences. First, sin enslaves us. Rather than serving God, we create other gods, um, which the Bible calls idols. Um, And we serve them instead. And they enslave us. They demand our time and our energy and our money and our loyalty. Everything that we do and have. Um, Think about those false stories that I told. Those demanded so much of me, and yet they never promised on what they... They never delivered on what they promised. Um, Those are the idols, some of the idols that I've been enslaved to. Um, Idols of success and of appearance and of accomplishment and relationships. Sin enslaves us, and sin also brings condemnation. We're not just enslaved by our sin, but we're guilty because of it. We stand guilty before the judge of heaven and earth. Um, Paul writes in Romans that uh, the wages of sin is death. Friends, this is our condition apart from God, and we cannot deliver ourselves out of it. We need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need a Deliverer to free us from the bondage and condemnation of sin and to restore the world to its original good. This rescuer that we need must be fully human to pay the debt we owe to God through his own death. And he must be fully God to reconcile us to the Father in heaven. And friends, this rescuer is Jesus. He lived the life that we could not live, perfect obedience to God, and he died the death that we deserve to die. He took the condemnation and death we deserve so that when we put our trust in him, we can receive the blessing and life that he deserves. Not only did Jesus die in our place, but he rose from the dead, demonstrating his victory over sin and death and hell. And he ascended to heaven where he is enthroned as the king of the universe. And one day, one day he will return. He promises this. He will return and he will make all things new. In the words of Samwise Gamgee, everything everything sad will come untrue. Um, Verse 5, Paul tells us this is a message of hope. Um, The gospel can handle the weightiness of your life. It can handle your hopes and your fears. It can handle your disappointments and your longings. It can handle your sin and your shame. The gospel is a message of hope because it is the only only story that claims to be true and promises hope and actually delivers on what it promises. And the gospel of God's one-way love in Jesus Christ comes to us in the midst of many competing stories. Stories of two-way love that promise but do not deliver. This is the same way it came to the church in Colossae. Um, A little bit about the church in Colossae. Scholars believe that Paul wrote this letter between A.D. 53 and A.D. 55, so the first century um, A.D., uh, and he was in prison in Ephesus, and he wrote to the church in Colossae. Um, These were both cities in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, and they were within the Roman Empire. Um, where Greek was the common language spoken amongst people. That's why Greek is the, is the language of the New Testament, because that was the common language of the, of the Roman Empire. And the word gospel in Greek, euangelion, I'm sorry, I just did that. Um, the word gospel uh, was a technical term, was actually a technical term in Greek for the news of victory. So after a battle, a messenger would return home, he would raise his right hand in greeting and call out with a loud voice, Rejoice! We have victory. And by his appearance, it was known already that he was bringing good news. His face would shine, his spear would be decked with laurel, um, his head would be crowned, he would swing a branch of palms, 
Joy would fill the city. The temples would be decked in garland. The gospel in the first century Roman Empire was the good news of victory. And also it was a word used to describe the Roman emperor. The religion of the Roman Empire was known as the imperial cult. What this meant was that as Rome expanded, it demanded its new citizens to worship the emperor. And the birth of the emperor was called, Evangelion, the gospel. Um, It was celebrated. People rejoiced at the birth of the new emperor, the birth of the new Caesar. And when the emperor was crowned, as, the, as he was crowned, as he ascended his throne, um, it was euangelion. It was gospel, good news. Um, and people rejoiced, and joy came with this. And to this proclamation, the New Testament opposes the gospel of Rome. And in its place, it proclaims the kingdom of God. The New Testament speaks the language of its day, and the gospel of Jesus Christ confronts the gospel of the empire. Right? Because at Jesus' birth, we rejoice in the gospel that God has been made flesh. And at Jesus' um, enthronement, his resurrection from the dead to glory, we celebrate and we rejoice at the gospel, the good news that God has done it. And the world celebrates, right? We celebrate Christmas and Easter, where we celebrate this, this new empire with this new king. And this is the good news, the gospel. So when Paul writes to the Colossians that the true gospel has come in Jesus Christ, he is in fact protesting the false gospel of the empire. Do you see why they threw him in jail? Um, the, The one that promises hope, the empire's gospel, the one that promises hope but does not deliver, the one that says, if you submit to the empire, you will have salvation. This false gospel claims to be true, but it is merely another false story of two way love. So, what is the gospel? It's good news of God's one-way love that comes to us in and through Jesus Christ. But what does the gospel do? Well, here, Paul says that the gospel comes to us and it bears fruit. Look at verse 6. Paul is saying that the gospel is not something that we do, but something that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that as the gospel comes to us, it bears fruit. Verse 4 and 5 tell us that it produces faith in Christ, it produces love for the saints, and it gives us real hope. How? Well, look at verse 6. Paul says, because when you hear it, you understand God's grace in Jesus. So friends, my question for you tonight is, do you want faith? Do you want real hope? Do you want love for others? Well, believe the gospel. Trust the gospel. Open your hands and your heart and receive God's one-way love for you in Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done or what has been done to you, the grace and love of God in Jesus Christ is yours by faith. This is the gospel. So it's unconditional love, right? Well, not quite. Um, The gospel is better than unconditional love. There's a quote on the back of your handout um, from a man named David Pallison, and he writes this. Because the gospel says God accepts you as Christ is. God has contra-conditional love for you. Christ bears the curse you deserve. Christ is fully pleasing to the Father, and he gives you his own perfect goodness. Christ reigns in power, making you the Father's child, and coming close to you to begin to change what is unacceptable to God about you. God never accepts me as I am. He accepts me as I am in Jesus Christ. 
the center of gravity is different. The true gospel does not allow God's love to be sucked into the vortex of the soul's lust for acceptability and worth in and of itself. Rather, it radically decenters people to look outside of themselves. So what would it look like to live like the gospel is the true story of the world? What would it look like to live like the gospel is the true story of the world? I want to end by telling you all one story. Um, There's a man named Stephen Curtis Chapman. You may have heard of him. He is a Christian um, musician. And on May 21st, 2008, his son, Will Franklin Chapman, was backing up out of his driveway when he accidentally struck and killed um, his five-year-old Chinese adopted sister, Maria Sue, with his car. And in an interview only a few weeks later, Stephen Curtis Chapman, the father, explained how difficult it was to deal with the loss of his precious adopted daughter. And this difficulty was made worse by the fear that he had in losing his son too. He said in this interview, I just really had a deep concern in my heart that I would not lose two children as a result of this because I knew what my son Will must have been struggling with. I knew what my son must have been struggling with. So picture with me the scene of the father, for the father. His teenage son um, has just crushed his five-year-old daughter to death. Um, And Stephen Curtis Chapman scoops up the broken little girl from the pavement, and he gently lays her crumpled body in his car, and then he rushes to the hospital. And as he's putting the car in reverse, he sees his son, Will Franklin. And in the same interview weeks later, the father, Chapman, said that he didn't remember what he said to his son, Will. Um, as he backed out of the driveway and way to the hospital. But Will's brother remembered exactly what his father screamed out the window. And according to Will's brother, his father leaned out the window as he drove down the driveway with his already dead little girl. And he leaned out his window and he screamed at his son, Will Franklin, your father loves you. Your father loves you. Will Franklin, your father loves you. In the midst of my fears and my guilt and my doubts and my shame, God and his gospel is screaming over me, John Bourgeois, your father in heaven loves you. And God says this to anyone who believes, however poorly, however poorly, anyone who believes that they are in Christ. God says, I love you. I love you. You are mine. Do you see this, how the gospel says grace to you? And how this gospel produces faith, hope, and love? God gave Stephen Curtis Chapman the grace to show his son love. Even in this most extreme moment when his baby girl was dying in his back seat. In Jesus Christ, God is needing this contra-conditional love of the gospel into our hearts. And this gospel is flowering up and bearing this beautiful fruit of faith, hope, and love. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows our heartbreak, um, who has entered into our heartbreak in Jesus Christ, and that you have entered into our lives and into the mess of this world in love. That you are the God of the gospel, um, that you have come to us. You have not left us alone here but you have come in love to us to make all things right in Jesus. Father, our faith is weak. Would you help our unbelief? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.